0: First, First John chapter 2 verse 18 Children, it is the last hour. Again, this is this is the time after Jesus has ascended to heaven. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour because of the number of people who professed to know Christ, but have walked away from Christ. Now listen to verse 19. They went out from us. That is, they went out from the church. Here, the church in Ephesus. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They never truly belonged to us. For if they had been with us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain to the church that they all are not of us. Paul, when he brought the elders of the church in Ephesus to Jerusalem and Rome, Paul would say to those elders as he gathered with them according to Acts chapter 20 that after his departure, fierce wolves would enter the church. And the fiercest wolves that were entered the church in Ephesus were already in the church. And it was Paul's preaching and teaching of the word of God that kept those wolves at bay. But Paul says, after my departure, they will rise up and they will deceive many because they are driven by the demonic. So Paul, writing to Timothy, Paul says... Some will depart from the faith, that is, from the body of doctrine that the church has believed and taught faithfully. They will walk away from that. They will compromise their commitment to the truth of God as embodied in the doctrines that are taught, the faithful doctrines. They will devote themselves to deceitful spirits. These are demonic spirits. They are led away by these deceitful spirits and what they're teaching. Look at the end of verse 1. This is so critical. They will devote themselves to the teaching of demons. The word teaching here means the doctrine of demons, the devil has a theology. And he's taught well all of his demonic host his theology. Where does he want his theology taught? In the church. Now, it'd be wonderful if the teachers who are demonic teachers, teaching as the truth of God, the doctrines of the devil, it'd be wonderful if when they showed up and stood behind the platform, they were to say, I'm here from the devil and I have good news for you. But the problem with demonic doctrine is that it always contains truth. Always. And it's enough truth to deceive those who are not rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And it's happening all over our country. It's happening in church after church after church where people are not being taught the truth of God. What they're being given on Sunday mornings and even on Sunday nights is something short that has no substance. And it's only about calling people to some kind of decision. It's not about growing in the depth of the fullness of the knowledge of God that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, these people who wander away because they can't receive, because they don't belong to God, the truth of God, they're open to deceitful spirits and to the doctrine of demons through... Through the insincerity of liars, these are the demonic teachers whose consciences are seared. Look at verse 3. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, here's the point. The point is that one of the most popular ways that demonic teachers work is that they make coming to Jesus very easy, and then they make your life about keeping some kind of moral code. So that you say, when asked, Am I a Christian? Your answer is in terms of what you don't do. Are you a Christian? Well, yes, I'm a Christian. I don't do, and then you have your little list. And that's all you have. You have your profession of faith, and you have your list of I don't do. This is demonic teaching, and it will destroy the church when believed and practiced. Paul says, look, God is not that kind of God. He is the God of truth. And He is the one who calls us not only to believe the truth and know the truth because everything that God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it's made holy You remember the sermon this morning, 1030 this morning, for it is made holy by what? The word of God and prayer. How do believers stay focused on being faithful? Every truly blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled believer desires at the depths of our heart to live daily in devotion to Jesus as Lord. That's like the pulse of our lives. It's the passion of our souls. How do we do that? Well, Paul says it's simple. It's through the Word of God, feasting on the Word of God and prayer, listening to God as He speaks in His Word and praying. But those who teach the doctrine of demons will never teach you that. They will short-circuit. Oh, I don't believe that stuff. Uh, Just sit and listen and God will speak to you out of nowhere. Don't invest your time and energy in the Word of God. Don't fast before the Lord. Don't seek Him in prayer. We're buying into doctrines of demons even when we don't think we are. So, the antidote, I wish I could go through the rest of 1 Timothy 4, but I won't. I just want you to know that what, what Paul says in the rest of this book, in the rest of this chapter, is that the antidote to the demonic teaching is those who will pay attention to the proper preaching and teaching of the truth of God's word, and when we are with, when we are by ourselves during the week, we will pray the word, we will read the word, we will study the word, we will saturate our lives with the word of God, we will soak in prayer before God. And we will begin by the help of the Holy Spirit to apply all of that to our lives. Now, demons are at work all over the world. They're at work in every culture in the world. And one of their most fundamental ways of working... With believers is to blind us and to numb us to what they're doing. Now, remember the doctrine, the fundamental doctrine of the devil that he confronted Eve with in the Garden of Eden is twofold don't believe everything God says in his word. God wants to rule over you. He wants to control you. He wants to deny you your freedom. Don't listen to him. You live your life as you choose to live your life. Don't let God control you. That's a fundamental doctrine of the devil. It's tied together with this doctrine. Life's all about you. Life's all about you, and you need to pursue whatever brings you pleasure and will prosper you in your life. God is out to rule over your life, and he wants to rule over you oppressively, but you're the center of the universe, and you need to pursue whatever brings you pleasure. Now listen carefully. You can't take that doctrine of the demons or of the devil and bring it into your life as a Christian and say, I believe in Jesus and I love Jesus, but I also want to live the way I want to live. You cannot do that. Because what you're doing when you're doing that is you're effectively succumbing to the blindness and the numbness that Satan is producing in your heart. Now, here's a truth, bullet point number three, that I think is so critical. I got interested in demons back in the early 90s. Now, back in my liberal days, if you had asked me, do you believe in demons? My answer would have really depended on whether my job depended on it. But if you had asked me, this is what I said. No, that's in the past. There's no such thing as demons now. We have learned, we have evolved, (laughs) so now we have psychosocial categories for explaining the demonic. Now, you read the Bible and study the Bible and listen to the God's Word, and let me give you a big theological term for that understanding that what we have that used to be the demonic is now found in psychosocial categories. Let me give you a big theological term for that. That's hogwash. That's just complete, total, thorough hogwash. It is worldly teaching. It's worldly wisdom. But you would be shocked at the number of professing believers who actually believe that. When I began to study the demonic, I began to see something that shook me. We can see the demonic at work in other cultures while denying the reality of the work of demons in our own culture. I remember the first time we took a mission team to Alaska, and we went up as a group to see where they made the totem poles. Now, what do they make those totem poles for? They worship them. And they believe in the worship of the totems. Is that of God or is that of the demonic world? It's not of God. That's totally demonic. The place where we went had a gift shop. Everybody went into the gift shop and bought these little totems. You don't mess with demons. Demons. It's just a piece of wood, and it's multicolored. You don't mess with demons. This is the demonic world. The first time I went to Thailand to visit Don and Betsy, and I saw these spirit houses everywhere because they actually believe in the worship of ancient spirits. They light candles in honor of ancient spirits. Now, you and I look at that, and what do we say? That's demonic. How could people ever do that? We can see the demonic in other cultures, but we don't see it in our own. That's what I want tonight, I pray, to help us see. Do you believe demons are real in Waynesboro, Georgia? Do you believe they're real in the United States of America? Yes. But we can be blind and numbed to the demonic. We must stay connected with the genuine Christian community if we're going to stay focused on the Word of God. Now we, need to, we need to make sure that we are in a church that at every level is consistently preaching and teaching and communicating the absolute truth of God's Word. Because the demons blind us and they cause us to be dumb and numb to the true presence and power of God in our lives. Here is a true conflict that I believe every believer in this room has in your life. If you're in the Word of God, I've never been in a church where more people are in the Word of God on a regular basis than here. If you're in the Word of God daily, reading, studying, saturating your soul in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit has either already brought you to or He is bringing you to the place where nothing matters more in your life than your growth in love for and devotion to Jesus as Lord. And you want to live that out. But there comes this disconnect, doesn't it? Between what you desire to be and do, living it out, and how you're actually living your life. Why? Now, the demonic answer is because we're just human. We love Romans 7. We live out of Romans 7. I don't do the things I ought to do and the things I ought to do I don't do. And we say, God understands, that's all right. No, no. The disconnect is because something's going on in our lives that is a form of demonic influence that is creating a kind of idolatry that's keeping us from full submission to God as a servant, even embracing suffering for the gospel. It's okay to read about people all over the world suffering for the gospel. Who of us right now would say, I'm ready? No matter what it costs me, I'll suffer for the gospel. So let's talk about, well, let's go the other way. So here's how demons work. Demons are all over the world, but they work through the cultures where they are found. There are some cultures who find their deepest delight and their deepest dread in their ancestors. They dread their ancestors and they want to delight their ancestors. So they worship ancestral objects like totems. They don't see that as demonic, they consider that the worship of the one true God through that which is demonic. Exodus 32, when Moses went up on the mountain, the children of Israel said, where is he? He's gone, he's left us, he's abandoned us. They went to Aaron, the associate pastor, Tony, Jerry, and they said, make for us gods. When Aaron made that golden calf, he did not see it as an idol. He saw it as a representation of Yahweh. It was demonic, totally demonic. It was a part of the demonic attaching itself to the culture. Some cultures find their deepest delight and deepest dread in the spirit world, like in Thailand. Thus, their worship is driven by what pleases the spirit, spirit houses, lighting candles, offering incense. You go in churches where there's the lighting of candles and the offering of incense, the raising of the chalice, believing that it's going to be transformed into the blood of Jesus. You're not in the presence of God. You're in the presence of the demonic. And yet we can be so blind and so numb that we don't see that. Some cultures find their deepest delight and deepest dread in, physical and, in the physical and material world and thus worship the God. This is getting real close to home. We worship the God that can produce physical well-being and material success. Now, who in this room would see that that's potentially demonic, none of us, because we live in this world. And we're numb to this, and we're blind to this. Is it wrong to pray uh, for God to bless us materially? No. As long as the focus of that prayer is that God blesses us materially so that we can give away more and more and more and more to our grandchildren? No. So that we can give more and more to the cause of the advance of the gospel around the world. Is it wrong to pray for healing for those who are sick? No. I'll tell you what's wrong when that becomes an ultimate concern. Now, let me... take this further. Demons are not territorial. Maybe you've been taught about demons. They're territorial. They're not territorial. There's no evidence of that in the Bible, but they do operate in different ways and different cultures. Values and mores, that is, what does a culture value the most are established by cultures over time. You look at the values and mores of the American culture from the East Coast to the West Coast, and this is what you will find. We want to be known, we want to be loved, and we want to be accepted. Nothing wrong with that value. But God knows that's what we value, so does the devil. So how does he operate through the demonic world? He creates systems and structures that cause us to be known, loved, and accepted. You find anywhere in our country where there are drug issues, and that's everywhere in our country, what you will find is groups of people who create a context led by a few people where you are promised that in this context you will be known, you will be loved, and you will be accepted. And the demons work through that, To bring people into that system, get them involved in the use of drugs. They believe that they're known, loved, and accepted. Until they don't do what the group wants them to do. And then they're castigated. But the demonic stronghold has taken such deep root that they don't know how to break that demonic stronghold. So what does our culture do? Our culture steps in and says their problem is they've got a disease. That their brain doesn't function right. Science says... You know science has zero authority apart from the authority of the Word of God? The Word of God is our ultimate authority, and science operates under the authority of the Word of God. What matters most is not what science says. What matters most? What does the Word of God say? And where demons build demonic strongholds, they can't build those demonic strongholds except in the heart and mind and soul of a sinner. So what that sinner needs in order to see that demonic stronghold broken is what? They don't need therapy. They need the gospel. The gospel is the only power on earth that can break demonic strongholds. You have someone addicted to alcohol, you're not praying, Lord, help them stop drinking. You're praying, Lord, save them. Please save them. In our culture, in our culture, in order to understand where demons really operate, you have to ask two questions. First of all, what is it in our culture that we're taught brings us the most delight? What is it in our culture that brings the greatest dread? Now let's be honest, let's talk here. You think about our culture, don't think about idealism, don't think about what you would like to be taught. But what is it that brings us the greatest delight? What is it that we all need? We've already said we need to be known, loved, and accepted. Let's take a next step. What is it that, because of the demonic strongholds in our culture, what is it that brings us the greatest delight? What would you say? Huh? Comfort. Comfort. We surely want that, and we believe in many cases that is a right. Right? We should seek that. It's hard to repent in sackcloth when you're worshiping at the altar of comfort. Right? What else? Huh? Who said that? Money. That's right. That's a big thing. We... We, um, we delight in that. What else? Huh? Affirmed. Affirmed? Yeah. Now, this is a guy who's been on the campus of the University of Georgia. He's been a college student, faithful witness to Jesus. I want to tell you something. That's at the heart of the demonic world in our culture. I believe demonic forces in our world are saying to us we all need three things. Number one, we need to be accepted. By whom? By everybody. That's one reason we compromise our commitment to the gospel. That's one reason... In witnessing situations, we grow strangely silent because we're afraid that if we open our mouths and share Jesus, maybe they don't accept us. I don't want to say this coldly or carelessly or callously. I don't. But if you're accepted by God through Jesus, who cares who else accepts you? I mean, really. We don't want to be obnoxious in our witness. We don't want to be... Wicked in our witness. We don't want to be forceful as in just continuing to press. But sometimes we don't witness because we crave acceptance. We not only crave acceptance, we want to belong. I promise you, unless you are a real true introvert who likes to be all alone. (laughs) Everybody in this room has a group that you can name right now, and you want that group to accept you. You want to belong to that group. And oftentimes those groups include people who are not believers and who may be under the influence of demonic powers, but we so crave acceptance and belonging that we'll do whatever it takes to belong to them which means what it takes is the compromise of our witness and being blind and numb to what the demonic world is doing. And as Meyer said, we want affirmation. Now, is is affirmation a bad thing? No. But when you're living for that, we delight in that. What do we dread? I think this is true. We, We dread rejection. We dread rejection. We dread being left out by the people who are the people to whom we want to belong. The demons are very active in our culture. But they don't work through ancestor worship. We don't worship our ancestors. And they don't, worship, they don't operate through spirit houses because we don't worship the spirits but we worship the god of acceptance and belonging and affirmation and we fear being rejected and left out and it cripples us it cripples us and satan knows it cripples us now turn to second corinthians 11 While you're turning there, let me just say that uh, that uh, people ask me from time to time how in the world. Um, yesterday at the uh, conference, this uh, guy walked up to me, and as soon as I saw his name tag, um, I got nervous. I mean, I did. Because one of the best writers among Christian writers right now is a guy named Ray Rhodes. He wrote the best biography on Charles Spurgeon's wife, Susie, I have ever read. He followed that up with another book that is among the best books I've ever read. And he wanted to meet me. Imagine that. And a guy from Moody Publishers who used to live and work in Waynesboro with OM Literature, Mark Chase, Mark brought him over to me and said, Ray wants to meet you, Al. And I thought, wow. And this was his question. What happened to you? Then he said what I did not know. I lived in Waynesboro, Georgia. I was the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church in Alexander. And I knew First Baptist Church. And First Baptist Church, when I was in Waynesboro, was no conservative evangelical church. I'm not even sure it was a Baptist church. It was very liberal in its theology and very cold About four years ago, I was at a Ligonier conference, Ray's telling this, I was at a Ligonier conference, I got on an elevator with you, and I saw your name tag, and I thought, they must have misprinted that name tag. The pastor of First Baptist Church Waynesboro would not even be near a conservative evangelical conference. I wanted to ask you then, but I thought, no, they messed up. And he asked what lots of people have asked me. How did you ever get into liberalism? And how did you get out of it? I can answer both those questions. I got into it by demonic influence. Liberal theology is of the devil. It is of the devil. It is demonic. How did you get out of it? By the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. You know people who are professing believers who are haunted by the demonic. They're driven by a desire for acceptance, belonging. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. God has power over the demonic world. 2 Corinthians 11, very quickly. Paul says, I wish you would bear with me, in a little foolishness do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present to you, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. This church belongs to God through Jesus, but Paul is stewarding through his gifts the mysteries of the gospel to this church. But I'm afraid, verse 3, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Why? Why? Because Satan has captured your thoughts. So how does the demonic work? Where does it go first? To our minds. To our minds. Why is it that so many students go off to college and universities and are taught by secular professors with PhDs and at the end of college these once immersed in the church students never go back? Because of the doctrines of demons. Because they're taught the lies rather than the truth of God. And they get introduced to another Jesus, a different gospel. That is what happened in the church in Corinth. That's why demonic strongholds were established in the church in Corinth. There were super apostles. Verse 5, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. This church in Corinth was being seduced by demonic powers, led away by demonic powers. And they didn't know it. Well, why didn't they know it? Look down at verse 12. And What I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful working, workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Oh, my friend, just because a preacher says to you he's a preacher, just because he's got stats to show that he's successful in drawing people to walk down the aisle, don't believe that preacher until you check out that preacher and discern something about his faithfulness to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. He's a false apostle, numbed by the demonic. Verse 14, and no wonder. No wonder you were deceived. No wonder you were led astray. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Therein will correspond to... Their deeds. Demons are real and demons are active. And in our culture, they're deceiving many. I believe they're professing Christians in many of our churches. If you want to know what breaks my heart most of all, more than anything else. I believe they're professing Christians in our churches who have made some profession of faith in the gospel, but they are under such weak and anemic teaching that if you were to sit them down today and say, could you take the Bible and tell me what the Bible teaches as the core teaching of the Bible, they could not do it. If you ask them to tell what the gospel is, they could not do it because they've not been feasting on the truth of the Word of God. The antidote to the demonic is not to look for demons everywhere. The antidote to the demonic is to listen to the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, to love the Word of God, to be loyal to the Word of God, and to live in submission to the Word of God so that we learn not only how to serve God, but we also learn that God has ordained, God has ordained that a vital part of us belonging to Him is found in our suffering. I don't have that slide. That we suffer for Him. And that we rejoice in our suffering for Him. I want to encourage you as we end because... I think one of the greatest ways that the demons work in our culture, I believe this with every fiber of my being. Because remember, demons work in cultures in different ways. I believe one of the greatest ways Satan works through his demonic, through his demons in our culture, is that he gets us so busy and so consumed with good things that we can say honestly, I love the Bible. And I love prayer. But to be honest with you, preacher, I don't have a lot of time in my calendar for either. Well, you think that way, and you live that way even as a child of God you're opening your heart to the demonic world and you're inviting them to come after you. Don't neglect it. It is our only antidote to the demons who are not only deceiving us, but they ultimately want to destroy us. Well, we're going to begin next week... uh, uh, a more joyful servant subject, <laughs> we're going to talk about sin. So, I hope you will be back next Sunday as we continue our study. God, I thank you. As we began tonight and I prayed, I want to pray yet again that as your children, we enjoy the overwhelming victory over the devil and the demons through our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give us an awareness in our culture. We need to be awakened. We just need to be awakened to what it looks like really to live under your lordship and to crave your word and to crave communion with you and communion with your people. And we pray that you would help us. One of the practical ways... You can help us is to get us aside somewhere and have us look at our calendars where so many of us, including me, we boast in our business. We're so happy we're so busy. And find those places where we can say no to good things in order to say yes to the only thing that infinitely, eternally and ultimately matters. God, I pray that you would help us. One of the great ways you could help us, I would seek you for this, is that we would help one another, that we would encourage one another in our walk of seeking to be faithful to you. Bless us this week. We pray with the gift of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And use us this week, I pray, as your faithful witnesses to the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.